Welcome to Bible Study Today. We're glad to be sharing God's Word with you. And when I say we, that's, um, first of all, Ken. Would you like to greet our listeners today, Ken? G'day, listeners. Lovely to be here again. Really wonderful. And uh, second person on the panel is Harvey. Great to be with you again. And uh, I'm Len, and I'm part of the panel today. And our facilitator, who's been our facilitator for the last several weeks and does a grand job at it, is Brenton. Welcome, listeners, to the study of God's Word. We're looking forward to sharing with you um, what God has to say from the prophets in our study today. Yes, thank you, Brenton. And Brenton, being the facilitator, I'm going to hand the program over to you. Thank Thank you. you, I would just invite us all to bow our heads in prayer before we commence. Father in heaven, we live in a world that is inequitable. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and it seems at times, Lord, as though those who have no voice, those who have no political um, clout or money or influence are just being trodden on by the rest of society. We claim that we're a compassionate society, but, Lord, there are many examples that we can see in us, around us in 2019 that indicate we're not. We're looking today at scripture. We're looking at some of the prophets and how they railed uh, very loudly and protested very longly about uh, the injustices that they saw in society and what needed to be done to remedy them. I pray, Lord, that as we open your word that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 There was a very important text. Uh, Today's study is entitled The Cry of the Prophets, but uh, there was a very important text. Probably John 3.16 would be the best-known text in the Bible, but this one would certainly be up there amongst the best-known texts in the Bible and is found in the book of Micah, chapter 6 and verse 8. I wonder, Len, would you like to read that one for us? Hmm. Then we'll pull that text apart a little bit and start applying it to the various prophets we're looking at in today's study. It starts out by saying, He, that is God, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So three things, Len, is that right? That oh, yes. Three things. To do justly, yes. to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Interesting. When you think of a prophet, what is the first thing that comes to mind usually when people talk about prophets? What do they usually think of, Harvey? Oh, foretelling the future. That's right. Someone who tells the future. Ken, would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Yes, But in our study today, we're looking at prophets not foretelling the future. We're looking at prophets forthtelling what is going on in society around them, the injustices that they observe and how they need to get back to God and uh, his love for them. Len, did you have any comments on this? Yes, I do. A prophet is not necessarily... um, Well, I'd use a fairly common expression, not usually just a fortune teller. Correct. Or a a soothsayer. A prophet also is a teacher who teaches the word of God. And we have many references in the New Testament, particularly as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit. 
A prophet is not just someone who tells the future, but is a teacher who shares with the people the word of God. That's a good point, Len, but <clears throat> let's uh, go to these three comments to do justly. Uh, I wonder, Ken, could you look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18 to 20, because what I want to do here is see what the word justly means in the Hebrew. And he, this is a direct reference um, to what God had said to Israel when they left Egypt. He was very, very specific about the way that they were to administer their society. And uh, Deuteronomy 16, 18 to 20 should fill us in a little bit on some of the key things that God said through Moses to Israel as to how they were to not only administer their uh, justice system in a legal sense, but how they were to live. Thanks, Ken. Okay, we're reading from the, uh, the King James Version. Chapter 16, 18 to 20. Judges and, office, and officers, shall thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and thou shalt judge the people with judgment. Yes, keep going. Thou shalt not wrest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise, and pervert the words of the righteous. That which is altogether just shall thou follow, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Wow. What are some of the things that are key things that God said they were not to do in these three verses, Harvey? Well, one was take bribes. Right. Didn't say it that way, but that's what it was saying. That's, that's what, what it was saying, yes. yes. Any others, Len? Yes, to show favouritism. Um, <clears throat> a judge must not show favouritism um, based on anything. It must be completely impartial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ken, did you get any... Yes, also they, they shall not twist or change the words of the ah. Lord. What do we call it in uh, ju judicial terms? Perjury, don't we? Or something similar? False statements? False statements, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What is one of the commandments? You shall not bear false witness. Yeah. It's interesting, uh, because of sin, God is now reminding them again, not only through the Ten Commandments back at Sinai, but now, as they're about to enter the Promised Land, he's saying this is the way you are to operate your your legal system. Micah is not giving them a new rule here. He's actually reflecting back on what you've just read, Ken. He's reflecting back on this is what you should have been doing all along, but haven't been doing. Len, did you have a comment? Well, what applied back then still applies in this day and age. Um, sometimes somebody who's done something really, really bad and gets a very light sentence or gets off um, the public reaction to that is that they are incensed that this felon, we'll say felon, was treated so lightly. Now, why, the reasons why that person might have been treated lightly could be that they could be a relative of the judge. We hope that this doesn't happen in our judicial system, but this is what can happen. Mm -hmm. And the same thing that applied back there when, when uh, God gave these instructions to the Israelites and their leaders that they must judge impartially, they must judge fairly. The same applies in this day and age. Mm. Good point. I noticed the other year when I served on a jury, 
it was very interesting. They, when the uh, charges were brought in, before they were actually read out, the judge asked a question. He said, are any of you related to this person? Do anybody of you know this person or know people who know this person? Because if so, you really need to disqualify yourself from hearing the case. Yeah. So that, as you said, Len, the case is totally impartial. All right, moving on to the second point, love mercy. The Hebrew word for that is chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. And it simply means um, to love goodness, to love kindness, to love merciful kindness. Merciful kindness. I wonder what the difference between kindness and merciful kindness is. It's an interesting one. Anyone got a comment on that one? Harvey? I would have said if you say merciful kindness, it's just almost emphasising the fact that kindness, mercy is kindness. And when it says merciful kindness, well, mm-hmm. I think all kindness is merciful, actually. Okay. What, what about the word, can I throw it into the, uh, the discussion here, the word empathy? Yeah, empathy is quite different to sympathy. Yes. Empathy is being able to put yourself in the same position or to have a complete understanding of where a person is as far as the way they feel. Okay. So would would or should that lead to merciful kindness, do you think? I think so, yes. I think merciful kindness covers all bases. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I agree. Um, um, Empathy... is not necessarily reaching out to a person. Empathy can be something which you can have, which another person may or may not be aware of, but kindness and mercy are both reaching out to others. It it involves someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have mercy unless you've got someone to be merciful to. You can't have kindness. Unless you have someone to be kind to. But you yeah. can have empathy yes. just within yourself, yes. observing yes. the situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, kindness and mercy linked together, outward things. Yeah. I th- and I and think they relate Brenton, to other people. Yes, Ken? I think, Brent, I've always understood empathy to basically to be able to put yourself in the other person's yes. shoes and yeah. understand how they're feeling and what they're going through. It doesn't mean to say you agree with them or disagree, but it just means you perhaps understand where they're at. Ken, I think that's a very important point that you've just made. It doesn't necessarily mean you agree with them. It simply means that you put yourself in their situation. And often when you try and put yourself in someone else's situation, you tend to see things from a different perspective rather than your narrow perspective from where you're looking at it from. Mm. And I think this is what Biker is saying. Guys, you need to get back to not only practicing justice and loving mercy, but then we come to the third one, which is just as important. I think, uh, Harvey, you Just before you go, um, Britton, um, in Adelaide at the moment, there's a fundraising campaign on and it's called walking in other people's shoes. That's right. Yes. And I'm not. I don't even know the full story of what it is, but that's really saying trying to put yourself in their position. Yeah. And I think that's empathy to a large extent. Isn't that to do with cancer sufferers or something or other? Am I? I think right it's homelessness. Actually, homelessness. Yes, you're right. I think, I think it's it to do with homelessness. Yes. Yeah. The third one was to walk humbly with your God. The Hebrew word is sana. It's only apparently found once in scripture, S-A-N-A. 
and it means to walk carefully, to walk circumspectly, to walk with caution with your God. Now, when I started thinking about this, I said to myself, wow, <laughs> do we have any examples? Yes, we do. First Kings chapter 3 and verse 9. Harvey, I wondered if you could read that one for us, please. First Kings, First Kings 3, 3 verse 9. We all know of a person called Solomon. I don't think there's anybody either on our panel or amongst our listeners who wouldn't have heard of King Solomon, known as the wisest man who ever lived. But I want to reflect on his request when God actually asked him what would he like he, God, to give him. I think we have to understand before I start reading it. Yes that Solomon himself was a very young man at this stage, he or was. a reasonably he young was. man, mm. and he felt really overwhelmed, the fact that he was now going to be king. Yes. And so I'm reading from 1 Kings 3, verse 9. But before you go on, Harvey, um, isn't it interesting that often today we find in society that the young don't listen to the experience of older people. They think they know it, and they think that because they've got an education or whatever, that they're ready to go. But here we find Solomon, who takes a very different approach. Yes, so reading, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so thy so great a people? And what was God's response to his request, Harvey, in the next verse? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Mm. Okay, any, any comment on that? I wonder, would any of us have asked for wisdom if God said to me, Brenton, I'm going to give you anything you like, what do you want? Well, would you like me to read the next verse? <laughs> yes, verse yes, 11. yes, yes, go, go right ahead. And God said God unto him. God covered all, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, and God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not, hast not asked thy, for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. And it goes on, it says, Behold, I have done according to thy words. And so God was willing to give him what he had asked for, but he gave him a lot more than that. Yes. Len. Okay, if um, this sort of choice was given to one of us, we could make a choice to have all the stuff for ourselves. And that's one choice, yes. But in Solomon's choice, it wasn't just for himself. He asked for wisdom in order to faithfully rule and judge as the prime person within the nation, mm -hmm. his people fairly and, and rightly. And so it wasn't just for him to gather up and keep all these goodies that God was going to give him. It was for the sake of the people that he asked that. Mm -hmm. I, I think, Brenton, also an interesting <coughs> thing I find in this, uh, I think Solomon was an exceptional person. Oh, my understanding is, if I'm right, no other king ever asked for this only Solomon. Not that I'm aware now, of. I, I'm mm. sure, speaking for myself anyway, if you were to go back in time, I don't remember what sort of age group Solomon was in, but I know it was youngest person. If I go back probably, and look at my younger 20s, days, I would think. if I go back mm. and look at my younger days and you ask me that question, I'd probably think, oh, yeah, nice palace and this, that thing. And I think more or less people are much the same, but when you think of it logically, if you have wisdom, you have everything 
Mm. Ken, that's a very perceptive <coughs> comment. A very perceptive comment. He specifically asked for wisdom, not for the general use of wisdom. He said, so that I can judge between good and evil. Mm. And in the very next chapter, you find an example, which we're not going to look at in our study today. But nevertheless, that's the case. All right, we're backtracking now just to a moment from Solomon. Only two kings further back to the very first king of Israel. And there was a prophet in those days by the name of Samuel. And when the people came to Samuel and asked for them, asked for him to make them a king, he was pretty upset about all of it. And he went on in First Samuel 8 verses 10 to 18 to <coughs> give a bit of an overview of what would happen if they uh, were to go ahead and make themselves a king. I don't really want to read the whole of the verses because we're going to run ourselves short on uh, some of the other prophets that we need to look at in today's study. But one thing that did stick out for me is he said that if you have a king, he will put you to work as servants, tending your vineyards, doing various other, other work. He will actually... Uh, I will, I'll use the term saying I used to work in the government compulsory acquire your land and use it for himself and he said a few other things as well now God had made, given very clear counsel on this I wonder um, Len could you look up Deuteronomy 17 verse 20 I just want to touch on this particular text because when God said to Samuel go ahead they've asked for a king they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. He, Samuel gave them all these warnings, but back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17 and verse 20, God made it very clear through Moses, and here Moses is, uh, shall we say, Moses is acting the role of a prophet. He's actually foretelling what's going to happen in the future because he actually says, when you come to make yourself a king, and uh, verse 20 is the one, Len, that particularly we want to look at. Deuteronomy 17, verse 20. Well, I better go back to verse um, Yeah, no, that's fine. You can go back to whoever's on the throne or who's ever the king. He must not consider himself better than his brothers uh-huh. and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign long time over the, the kingdom of Israel. So... What um, was uh, recorded in Samuel about the king, the king will want, instead of uh, looking after his subjects, will want his subjects to look after him. And he will then assume himself to be better than his subjects. Where in reality, as far as God is concerned, the king should really be a servant instead of the other way around. Didn't Jesus actually mirror this when he came to this earth? Mm. He said, I haven't come to to, serve, to be served, but to serve. Yes, that's right. And he gave that as an example that we still have in 2019. That's the example that he has given to us and to our listeners. If we want to be like Jesus, we are to serve. Just bring this into a modern-day mm. context. Sure. From time to time, some of our politicians think they're above the law. And they can do certain things, and now and again there's, it's revealed how they've misused their Position. credit card mm-hmm. or whatever and had wild parties or taken first class when 
second class would have done and, and whatnot, because they assume they're in a position of authority, in a position of service. That's a good point. That <coughs> they are to be treated differently. Mm. But in reality, um, they are there to serve, not to rule. Mm. Mm. Brenton, it's I have to just add to that. You, um, you may, after, by all means. <laughs> after reading this story, this lesson, I find it absolutely amazing because exactly the same things are happening today that yes. happened back in the days of Samuel, etc., etc., and there's absolutely no difference, especially when you're reading Micah and uh, what was going on there. Yes. Um, it's just exactly the same, except we're a few thousand years further up the track. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Ken. Can I just raise one yes, other point? Yes, certainly. Um, we're still discussing this uh, third aspect Yes. from Micah. <coughs> walking first, humbly with your God. Walking humbly with your God. Hmm. To do that, we must recognize that God is greater, he's superior to us. And um, I think this is a very important issue because some people get the idea that they are the top of the tree. Well, they'll never be the top of the tree because God is mm. the top of the tree. Mm. Mm. Therefore, it's to um, put their position in perspective. Mm. Len, the reason why we read the uh, text from First Kings is to show that if you want to walk humbly with your God, it's going to be pretty difficult to do if you can't tell the difference between right and wrong. You certainly have to, when I use the word, uh, to walk circumspectly. Circumspectly means picking your way through the minefield, so to speak, both ethically and in other ways as well. And that is how you walk humbly with your God, I believe. We did have an example that I haven't got time to go to just to reinforce what the prophetic words of Samuel. We all know the very sad story recorded in 1 Kings 21 verses 1 and 2. We won't look it up because of time, but it's the story of um, King Ahab who saw Naboth's vineyard alongside his property and said, I want to turn this into a vegetable garden. I want you to give me your land. And if you won't give it to me, well, I'll pay for it. And uh, Naboth's response is, that's my inheritance. Why would I want to sell my inheritance? So uh, shall we use a modern term? Ahab had a hissy fit, went back to his um, palace and moped and boped around the place for a while. His wife came along and said, what's the trouble with you? He said, I want the Naboth's vineyard. She said, look. Leave it to me. I'll fix it. And that's, I, I think they're examples, Len, of what you were saying, of people who think that they there is no law other than their law. They are the law. They make the law, and they will determine how the law is enacted. Yes. So she falsely accused him, had him stoned to death and his sons, and then took over the property. <laughs> These are the abuses that I think Samuel was trying to teach Israel, that if you go down this path of having a king, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> I think there's something else here mm, that, uh, that probably we, sh we <laughs> should point out. I mean, here we're talking about a political leader, but uh, say even in a family situation, some males in particular uh, think that because they are the head of the family or that they might be the stronger one or something, Therefore, they can do what they like and 
we have abuse mm -hmm. of women and children yes. or wives and children by males and there's something that can be learned from this lesson that we're talking about today or from the examples of um, leaders uh, as the head of the household the father the husband is there not just to be have his will done but he's there for the good of the family that's what yes. god has yeah. ordained mm. As a protector, actually. Yes, protector, not a predator. Yeah. It's interesting, though, when we were on holidays earlier this year, there was a, an ongoing debate on the BBC, which we were watching on the boat that we were travelling on in Tunisia, where um, in their society, when a father dies or a parent dies and uh, the children inherit their, their parents' estate, the son gets twice as much as the daughter. And the uh, women were saying, well, why should we be disadvantaged just because we're women? And the men said, well, because that's the way it is. <laughs> they couldn't give any logical reason as to why. They were actually talking to a group of university students in Tunisia. And uh, it was a mixture, obviously, of men and women. And the women were saying, well, why should we be disadvantaged just because we're women? Yeah. And these are some of the things that were no doubt going on in the society of the time in which our study today is based. These are the things that are going on. Let's have a look at another person by the name of Amos. What did Amos actually do for a job? It is recorded in, in his book, uh, chapter 7 and verse 14 and 15 of Amos. I wonder, Harvey, could you read those verses for us, please? Chapter 7, 14. Chapter 7 of Amos, verse 14 and 15. He was a prophet. Yes, we know that much. But what was his actual occupation? Was Had he gone to the school of the prophets and learned to be a prophet or something like that? What does it say about him? In verses 14 and, and 15, 15 of mm. Amos 7, mm. Then answered Amos and said to <coughs> Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was, was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of of sycamore fruit and the Lord took me as I followed the flock and the Lord said unto me go prophesy unto my people Israel wow <laughs> he didn't come through the school of the prophets he wasn't the son of a prophet <laughs> he had no if you like no pedigree as a prophet in modern phraseology we would say he wasn't a minister's son or a minister's grandson <laughs> um, a shepherd a shepherd. A shepherd was basically one of the lowest occupations, mm -hmm. lowest status occupations yes. there was. And God used him to prophesy. And I think later on, where Jesus, um, amongst his disciples, he had fishermen. Yes, now, fishermen did. weren't they quite were at the bottom, bottom of the there. pile, mm. but they weren't that far away. No, that's true. Also, a gatherer of sycamore figs would indicate that uh, that wasn't, shall we say, one of the more exalted positions in society. But it's interesting, Brenton, also because a shepherd, as we understand, looking back in the Old Testament days, really did care for the sheep. Yes. He wasn't just, it wasn't just a job. Yes. He was attached to them. Uh, they knew him. They followed him around. And he would uh, do all he could to keep them safe and well. So yes. perhaps that's one of the reasons why he was chosen. Mm. Well, while we're in the book of Amos, let's turn to chapter 2 and verse 6 and 7. And let's have a look at, just briefly, some of the abuses that were in society in Amos's time. 
Amos is one of those prophets who really did tell it as it was. He didn't beat around the bush. He was pretty straightforward in his denunciations of the sins that he saw his fellow Israelites committing. Len, could you read those uh, for us? Thanks. Sure. Amos 2, 6 and 7. Um, Amos was given a message, and it says, This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. They sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. Wow. Yes. If you were summarising those couple of things, Len, what would you say? I'd say that people are pretty profligate. Lifestyles. I would suggest you've almost got an incestuous relationship in the latter half of it. Before mm. that, you've got uh, the exploitation of the poor. Mm. You've got this this business of <coughs> sandals. Most people wore sandals because it was dusty. And under what God had told them to do earlier on and, and regarding their, their, um, their coats and things, if you owed a creditor and you gave them a pair of sandals in shall we say that was the payment. Legal, legal document mm. they were supposed to give them back to you at night because uh, you were uh, you certainly with a cloak the outer cloak which we'll get to in another one of the prophets um, the prophet was railing against the fact that they were actually <laughs> taking a person's outer cloak which they used to sleep mm. in and not returning to them to them at nightfall and he was he was really saying that you have absolutely no regard for those who owe you money or whatever. You are exploiting them to the absolute maximum. You were pushing them down till really they are no better than animals as far as the way they're being treated. Mm. It says there they sell the righteous for silver. Yes. What do you make of that? Um, then? Well, a, a righteous person, a good person, is worth a lot. And if they were going to be sold, they should be sold for gold. Good boy. Only get silver for them. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Ken, could you read that one for us? Just just over the page. Hear this word, ye king of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, Bring and let us drink. The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness that, lo, the days shall come upon you that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. Here we have a situation where it seems as though people are living a luxurious lifestyle at the expense of the poor, and God is saying that this situation isn't going to continue indefinitely. There's going to come a time where all of the things that you have gathered to yourself are going to be taken away. I think it's it's a really interesting word this because uh, as you say Brenton the day is coming and it's not that far away now that mm-hmm. everyone who has done these things knowingly will have a case to answer. Yes I believe so mm-hmm. and there'll be no shall we say appeal against no. that decision. Okay Glenn. Um I'm using a new international version of the Bible and chapter 4 begins with this hear this word And now I want you to notice what it then says. 
you cows of Bashan. Mine says the same. <clears throat> right. Well, you know, this sounds rather abusive. If you call a woman a cow, well, you're not going to be received favourably and you might find yourself uh, in a litigious situation. The law doesn't beat around the bush here. He describes these despicable women in this case Mm -hmm. as cows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Len, I'm glad you brought that out because um, Ken, it didn't quite bring it out in your version. Harvey, I don't know what yours said, but mine same says... Ken's. Does it? Okay, well, mine says the same as Len's. And the cows of Bashan is interesting because what do cows do? They eat grass, don't they? Mm. Bashan was an area in Israel that was particularly fertile where they used to graze animals and that sort of thing. What mm. else do cows do? They Make trample mess. down the grass. Oh, yes, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So these women, described, I believe, sarcastically, Len, as cows, he's really saying, you women, you just oppress the poor, you crush the rights of anybody else, all you want to do is live in luxury when they're talking about let's have a drink. It just means to me that they are living a dissolute lifestyle, a lifestyle where it's, life is just a continual round of parties and events mm. at the expense of others. Does that make sense? It does. Mm. Okay, you got a feel for Amos, don't you? <laughs> you really do have to feel for he him. He didn't have a very popular message to deliver, did he? No, he didn't. And because of his background, I would suggest he wasn't well heard because he was a shepherd and came from the lower stratas of society and uh, also a collector of sycamore figs. He probably wasn't well received. Harvey, you're <laughs> ready with an answer. Yeah, well, just the <clears throat> comment you made then, um, Brenton, and that is Jesus himself, when he spoke, people were astounded. They said, isn't this the carpenter's son, son of Nazareth? That's correct. They were that shocked that he came out with such wisdom. Now, it was very different with Jesus than, say, with Amos, but Amos, <laughs> I should imagine he was not well accepted to a large extent because almost everything he had to say or a lot of what he had to say it was, was very negative. negative. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it very was negative. True. But going back to what you read in Chapter 7 about his occupation, it said that he was a prophet because the Lord had laid his hand on him. And I think we need to remember that, that even in 2019 today, maybe there's a message from, for us here. God doesn't necessarily call the most highly educated, the most articulate people to be his spokespersons. Sometimes he calls people who are just humble, we would say nobodies, to to give his message. I think, Brenton, the other thing, of course, is he said he he perhaps wouldn't have been well uh, received. And really, again, the reason why he wasn't well received, he was speaking the truth. Yes, which is never well received. People don't want to hear the truth. Mm. Well, at, True. at least he spoke the language which meant something. If, he, uh, if this version is giving it as he would have said. According he, to the Bible uh, commentary, uh, Leonard does say cows are bash. He, he really spoke the language of mm. um, the common person, yes. yeah. and he didn't beat around the bush. Mm-hmm. This would have gone down like a lead balloon with the cows are bash, and I would, to put it mildly. <laughs> okay. We move on to another um, prophet by the name of Micah. Just a little bit of background on Micah before we start looking at a few things. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. In fact, he was around in the time of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is uh, known often as the gospel prophet 
Isaiah actually either had uh, royal blood in him or he had access to royalty because he seems to have functioned uh, at the highest level of society, whereas Micah seems to have been more the common man's uh, prophet, if you like to put it that way. Micah was, um, as I say, a contemporary of Isaiah, and he also railed against some of the injustices found in society. So chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 of Micah, we did read from Micah earlier on about what God required in chapter 6 and verse 8, but what were some of the things he said in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2? Lynn, could you read those for us? Sure. And Ken, could you read verses 8 and 9 of the same chapter? Micah 2, verses 1 and 2. Mm. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out, because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud a man of his home, a fellow man of his inheritance. Didn't we just mention an example recently on that by the name of Ahab? Naboth, yes. And Naboth. Naboth's That's a, vineyard. <laughs> this is exactly what happened. <laughs> exactly what happened. What else are some of the other things? It seems to suggest that these people that... Um, Micah is speaking to are people who are forever devising evil plans even when they're laying on their bed they're thinking about what are we going to do tomorrow how are we going to defraud somebody how are we going to take down the poor how are we going to enrich ourselves at the expense of our fellow Israelites so on and so on Harvey did you have any comment on some of these just thinking in terms of Solomon you know we read that he prayed to God that God would give him wisdom and God said, yes, I'll do that. But even Solomon, once he was given the power, he actually yes. turned aside from God he for did. quite a period of his life. He did. And the people were subjected to very high taxation. And, Thank and, you for and, mentioning that. <laughs> and a number of other things mm. that really showed that the risks of a person getting power and not using it properly yeah. was very definitely part of Solomon's um, attitude. He he succumbed to it and he, he, did. he just had wealth sort of beyond our understanding, to mm. say the least. Mm. But other things he did too. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting that um, he taxed the people severely because when his son, Rehoboam, came to the throne, they came to him and said, are you going to tax us as severely as your father? Um, he was a man of many public works. So I imagine if Solomon lived today and he wasn't a king and he lived here in South Australia, I imagine Stephen Marshall would probably have him as Minister for Infrastructure <laughs> because he would be forever building and taxing us poor people at the same time. But didn't Lady Rehoboam <laughs> say that he would actually <clears throat> he tax said them my, even more? He said, my father chastised you with whips, I'll chastise you with scorpions. <laughs> so, Len, did you have a comment on this before uh, we move yes, on well, to the next The thing statement. that impressed me here was the fact, the fact that... Um, it was within certain people's power to be able to do this. Now, there's a difference between being able to do it and doing it. Mm -hmm. But obviously, they were doing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I drive a high-powered car, and probably it'll do about 250 kilometres an hour. Not that I've gone that fast, but I don't have to do that. 
just because it's got a fair bit of power, mm -hmm. I don't have to do it. Yes. In fact, um, it wouldn't be wise if I did do it. <laughs> You'd want to choose your place <laughs> carefully, I think. <laughs> yes. So here's a, a social message mm. that although certain people might be in a position where they can take advantage of other yes. people... They don't have to. They don't have to, mm. but it's... Uh, the Lord condemns people who take advantage of other people even though they may have the power to do it. Mm. Mm. Now, thank you, Len. Um, Ken, verses 8 and 9, just moving on in the same chapter, but just down a couple of verses. Here we find some interesting things. Even of late my people is risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men adverse from war. The women of my people have you cast from the pleasant houses. From their children have you taken away my glory forever. Okay, I'm going to try and explain this in simple, everyday language. Notice, read it again, Ken, just the first few words. Even of late, my people is risen up as an enemy. Okay, my people is risen up as an enemy. God is still calling them. Notice this, this is important. God is still calling them his people. But he's saying that the rich are treating the poor as enemies. And then we move on to the abuses or injustices that are actually being um, perpetrated on these poor people, not returning their robe at nightfall. But the second part, I think, uh, Len, you had your hand up. Uh, before you go on to the second mm. part, recently uh, there's been on television on Sunday night up until a couple of months ago uh, a series all about the Second World War oh, okay. and, and about Hitler. Anyhow, the thing that really hurt me, I suppose, was how that in t time of war, somebody's got a gun, they think they can do anything. They can steal, they can pillage, they, they can, can do anything. They, they can, um, if you look at them the wrong way, they'll shoot you. Yes. Uh, here, is what Ken has just read is really talking about that very same thing that people in a position who are able to do something that's what God is condemning God expects those who have resources to use those resources mm. not just for themselves and not against other people but for themselves and other people mm. thank you uh, Len that's a good point um, the second part the second verse you read Ken can you read it again verse 9 it's talking about the women the women of my people have you cast out from their pleasant houses from their children have you taken away my glory forever my glory forever the first part interesting we would call it today forcible eviction yeah. I would suggest to you that, um, and to our listeners that what we're talking about here is defenceless women who may be widows, people like that, and because they maybe can't afford the rent or whatever, they're kicked out. Now, when I worked in the government, uh, one of my jobs was putting people in housing for a short period of time. And I can remember on a couple of occasions we had to carry out evictions. It's not a very pleasant experience to throw everybody's personal belongings out on the street and, and lock the door and say, on your way. 
that this is what's happening in this particular society, isn't it? Mm. it? It would suggest to me that all the standards of fairness and decency had broken down, largely. The rich are exploiting the poor. The poor have no, shall we say, redress. Len? Well, just in case somebody gets the wrong idea, um, I think there were very good reasons why you, in that position that you held for a while... Oh, there were good reasons. ...had to evict people mm. because they were totally irresponsible, I suggest. Where This is not talking about irresponsible people who trash the place and no. whatever. This is talking about people who really have nowhere to go yeah. and they're living a good life where they are and rented premises or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And they're being cast out. And they're being chucked out. Yes. Whereas yes. In your case was yeah. different. Thank you for uh, mentioning that because often... The people that we did put out often had absolutely trashed the inside <coughs> of the premises that they were living in, so it was going to cost us thousands of dollars to fix the, the inside of the property. Harvey, you had a comment? Yes, I think that last statement, from their children have you taken away my glory forever, because they would That's see it sad. as total in injustice and feel that they've been let down and the person that did the wrong to them um, was almost doing it as if I have the approval of God to do what I'm doing. Yes. And they would see an altogether wrong picture of God. Yeah. And yeah. that stayed with the children forever, it yes. says. What I see in that section, Harvey, is this. I see that the children are deprived of any future. Yeah. When it says that my glory is, um, I'm they're depriving me of my glory, God's glory, I believe, is to see men and women and children grow up to be useful citizens in society who reflect God's image. Because if you go back to our very first study, when sin came into the world, ever since then God has been trying to restore his image in man. And really what it's saying here is society has reached such a level that some people are never going to get a chance to do anything in society. The rich will exploit them to such a degree that these children that are growing up in poor homes will never have an opportunity. Has anything really changed in 2019? It hasn't, Brent, but again I'd like to just intervene in that little point. With so many things happening in the world at the present time, negative things, and in most of these cases many times people are blaming God and uh, reading these stories, we see basically the same thing, that people back then were blaming God and God wasn't actually involved. It was Good people point. that was doing the, yeah. the wrong Good things, etc. Mm. Moving on to yet another uh, of our uh, prophets. We've got two to go, folk. <laughs> Ezekiel and Isaiah. <laughs> now, can anyone tell me where Ezekiel primarily served his, uh, shall we say, prophetic, prophetic ministry from? If my memory serves me correct, he actually served when the Israelites were captives in Babylon. Mm -hmm. Apparently, uh, according to some research I did, um, of all the prophets, Ezekiel, there are more dates that you can tie down to the actual day and the actual month as to when he received some of these visions from God or um, warnings and corrections from God or... Um, messages from God than just about any other prophet. There's about 13 or 14 references apparently in the book of Ezekiel to he served he served this period of time from approximately 20 years. 
He was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar in 597 BC and taken to Babylon. And he was really, we would call him today, a prophet in exile. That's essentially what he did. And yet he's reflecting back on what's happening in Judah. He's reflecting back on the last couple of kings. Judah's in its last gasp (laughs) efforts as a kingdom. They're um, alternating between supporting Egypt and supporting Babylon, supporting Egypt, supporting Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar eventually crushes the whole thing and puts a stop to it. But um, I just want to reflect on some of the things, because, again, you could find much in this book to talk about. Incidentally, it's interesting to note that a major portion of the book of Revelation comes almost directly from the book of Ezekiel. Many of the ideas, the term son of man, which is found in the book of Revelation, comes from the book of Ezekiel, and so on and so forth. But we haven't got time for that. But just a couple of comments. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. I think we'll just touch on that one as a result of time. Uh, Could someone read that one for us? Harvey, could you read... Ezekiel 16 verse 49 for us please Ezekiel 16 verse 49 49. Behold this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom pride, fullness of bread and abundance of of idleness was in her and in her daughters neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy Now whenever you mention the word Sodom to anybody I guarantee the first thing that comes to mind is not they didn't look after the poor and those that were hungry. We immediately think of the sexual perversions that Sodom is renowned for. And yet here the focus of Ezekiel is on a different aspect of their downfall completely, isn't it? Can you imagine trying to give messages to your family and your um, relatives and your fellow Israelites back in Jerusalem when you were in captivity? Um, you would wonder seriously how well they would be received again, wouldn't you? Just like poor old Amos and Micah and Uh all the rest of them that have been railing against the injustices in society that we've come across so far. There is another thing I want to touch on very, very briefly. Ezekiel 34, verse 11 and 12, it talks about shepherds. Ezekiel 34, verses 11 and 12. Len, could you read those for us? This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flocks when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. Did you have a comment on that, Leonard? I do. I thought that was the one you were wanting to comment on. Yes, I was actually going to refer to the first couple of verses. Yes, yes, we haven't got time to look at all of those, but you can summarise This is a denunciation of the shepherds of the sheep. This is a simile referring to the leaders of the people and the common people. Hundreds of years later, in the time of Jesus, whom did he castigate he castigated the rulers the leaders of the people the priests and teachers of the law etc 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 for their failure to care for their people and also their personal failure to simply look after themselves and not 
to the interests of God, which really, in turn, was the interests mm. of the people. Thank you, Len. And what did he call them? When he used the term in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, he said, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. And, of course, if you'd read verse 5, I think it is of that chapter, Len, it said that all they did was feed themselves. Mm. Or was it verse 1 and 2? Early in the early in the chapter. Really. Here again, it's it's really the theme which is, was presented by some of the earlier prophets being repeated. Yes. Inasmuch as those who are in a position of power were looking after themselves, their position was given to them to be servants rather than yes. to be rulers. Yeah, we know that Jesus had a, had a discussion on one occasion uh-huh. with Peter. And one of the things he said was, feed my sheep and then feed my lambs, etc. He said three times he was talking mm-hmm. to Peter on this one occasion. But it shows that in actual fact the feeding of the sheep, which is really looking after the people that I've given into your charge, is really very, very important. It is. Yes. And yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Harvey, because as a minister, I feel the responsibility very strongly of being an under-shepherd to the sheep that God has placed me uh-huh. to care for, not to lord it over, but to care for, to look after, yep. to, to tend to. The last one we're going to look at today because of time, but also because it is the end of our study anyway, is Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is often known as the greatest of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. He's known as the Gospel Prophet. He ministered over a period of some 60 years, we believe, and he was probably of royal blood, more than likely. We, Due to time, we only can look at a couple of things. I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 and 7, to see exactly what did God require, and then we're going to finish with a quote that we can apply not only to ourselves as panel, but also, I believe, to our listeners. Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7, it really summarises the whole chapter, uh, or the whole book fairly well. Ken, could you read Isaiah 58, 6 and 7 for me, please? Okay. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke? It is not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. When thou seest thy naked, that thou covereth him, and thou shalt hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Um, The illusion that the people were suffering from at that stage is that they thought that um, God says earlier in the chapter, Ken, and we haven't got time to look at it, he says, these people seem eager to know me. Uh, they offer big sacrifices, they make long prayers and all the rest of it. Do you know what he actually says earlier in the book? He says, I feel like vomiting. Uh-huh. He says, your sacrifices and your offerings in your days make me feel ill. I feel like throwing up. Mm. That's how strongly God felt about all of this. So it's particularly interesting that what he is actually saying here is is significant because you remember in Matthew 25, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. All the things that are being mentioned in this verse. Jesus quoted this very passage. He did. And he was speaking about himself. The people to whom he was speaking didn't realise, but Jesus came to do all those things, to loose the chains of injustice, 
and untie the cords of a yoke to set the oppressed free. Well, what happened? Um, they, uh, the audience, the Jews, well, the leadership of the Jews, they wanted to kill Jesus That's for correct. that. Mm-hmm. It just shows how depraved those people really had become yes. because yes. of that. Mm. Thank you, Len. I'd like to read one uh, statement in closing. Uh, I'll call it a life application statement because it applies to each of us as panel members, but also to, I believe, um, our listeners as well. It says, Many deplore the wrongs which they know exist, but consider themselves free from all responsibility in the matter. This cannot be. Every individual exerts an influence in society. Mm. I think that's a very good uh, place to finish our study for today. Harvey, would you like to offer prayer for us as we close our study for today? Thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we've been able to study your word again today. We pray that as we leave this place that we will take with us and the listeners will take with them the message that has been given, and that is to deal justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. May that be our experience, I pray for Jesus' sake. Mm. Amen. Amen.